if you aren't prepared to surround yourself with the talent that you need to have and the depth of the talent that you need to have, you're not going to be any better than the team. This is the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast, sharing thought-provoking content and discussions to enhance your leadership development journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Here are your hosts from the digital learning team at Crotonville, GE's Global Learning Institute. So it's time for another podcast, and we have another leader in residence with us today, Alex Dimitriev. He is the Senior Vice President and General Counsel of GE. Throughout the week, he's been spending time in the classes on Crotonville, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about his role and some of the learnings that he has uh, been picking up along the way during his week on campus. So welcome, Alex. Thanks, Chantel. It's great to be here. Let's start first by getting more information about what you do at GE. So I'm the Senior Vice President and General Counsel. I've been in that job for about a year and a week, uh, and I'm responsible for overseeing the global law and policy team, which is a group of unbelievable professionals that cover a couple areas. Uh, that's the legal team. That's the compliance team. That's the environmental health and safety team and the government affairs teams. And so our team together uh, covers the legal compliance, environmental health safety issues and public policy government relations issues that our company confronts around the world in the United States and elsewhere. Uh, it's a great dynamic team, and I'm lucky to be part of it. And these are roles that require a lot of, of influence and integrity and great leadership really all around. So talk to us a little bit about how you maintain that at a general level within those teams. I think that the most important thing for someone to be good at the type of job that you have on our team is to be an especially good listener. I always tell people that the test of whether someone is being effective in a control function is whether people want to have you into the room to hear what you have to say, even when they don't really want to hear what you have to say. And to me, that's the ultimate test because it shows that you've been able to provide your advice in ways that people value, that they believe that it would be a mistake for them to make a decision about an important or difficult topic without having you in the room. And in a company like GE, that's as complicated as we are, that's as big as we are, and that's as many places as we are, we really rely on people to include us in their processes and include us in their decisions. And we find that to be the best way to make sure that the company you know, honors its commitments that it has, both to its employees, to our customers, to our regulators, to our shareholders, and to all of our other stakeholders. And I think it just really requires a combination of patience, uh, humility, and a really good ability to listen and to provide advice in the right ways. Those are great points. So what's sticking out to you as you're going through the different classes on campus and different conversations that maybe you've had? Is there anything that's given you an aha moment that is something you, you haven't maybe spent a lot of time thinking about recently? Uh, you know, first of all, just let me say, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the week here at Crotonville this week. I, I'm here on a regular basis as part of my job, but I usually do a drop-by visit to a class or two on occasion. And being here and being able to both experience the classroom settings, but also being able to do roundtables over at the White House, uh, being able to have lunch and dinner and breakfast with members of the teams and really just hearing what's on their mind and what's excited them about GE and more importantly, what their anxieties are about GE is really an unbelievable experience. So I want to thank you and the rest of the team at Crotonville for making me feel so at home this week and giving me this opportunity. 
I also want to encourage other leaders at GE to snap up this opportunity if it's offered to them, because I really honestly feel as though I've learned more from these sessions than the people who I've done the sessions with. And it's a really great chance to get grounded uh, in the reality of GE again. And I walk away from this week uh, really thinking about two issues in particular. Uh, the first is our transformation to a digital industrial company. And people feel very excited about the possibilities. They understand what it means to have a digital thread worthy of 2016 running through our company. They also understand the excitement of outcome selling to customers based on the big data generated by the machines that we design, manufacture, and sell to our customers. And they understand that that's the future and they understand that unique, the unique opportunities and how GE is uniquely positioned to marry data analytics with world-class uh, design and manufacturing expertise to provide something to customers that most companies, quite honestly, just wouldn't be able to even if they tried. But with that, excitement comes from anxiety about people who feel as though they're being left behind a little bit. They hear people like me talk about the digital industrial. They hear me explain predicts. They hear me explain concepts like data for value and the importance of doing this right with customers. And there's an anxiety that they aren't keeping up with the company in this area. And there's also a growing anxiety that we're starting to have groups of haves and have-nots, people who understand it and therefore are getting ahead, and people who don't, who feel like they're being left behind. And I understand the anxiety. I, I think that it's probably a little bit overstated and that people aren't as far ahead as people fear that they are. But we as a company need to do something to make sure that we're making the training available. But more importantly, people who are listening to this podcast, they got to be hungry and they got to want this. You know, they've got to go on Brilliant You. They've got to take advantage of the curriculum that's out there waiting for them because this isn't the sort of thing that can be spoon fed to somebody. It's not like you can spend an hour with an online course and understand everything there is to know about Predix, but we're afraid to ask. You need to read this stuff. And, you know, Chantel, I've made a lot of time in my schedule for the la over the last year to read what I can get about this. And I've always had a fascination with technology, but big data in the industrial internet, it's new concept and it's a complicated concept. And you need to get out there and you got to want this, you know, and it's going to take a while for this to sink in. So I encourage everybody who's listening to this to design your own curriculum, figure out how you're going to use the resources within GE to get smarter about this. Reach out to your chief digital officer in your business, you know, ask for training sessions, ask for explanations, you know, get, let's get some pull as well as push in this area so that people can exercise some self-help because this is uh, this is complicated but it's so important and it's everybody's business. This is gonna to touch absolutely everybody in the company and we need to get better on it. So that's the first general heading. And then the second general heading, I put under the category of trust. And it's really uh, something that's come through all of the conversations that we've been doing this week. And it's the importance of trust, but it's also the importance of earning trust and of giving trust. And I think that one of the frustrations that people are feeling about simplification not getting the traction that it quite has is that we trust each other, but to quote President Reagan, we're still verifying a little bit more than we need to. And we ought to be trusting a little bit more and we ought to try. And so what I've started to say in each class that I've taught this week is that letting go is a very unnatural act for people at GE. 
uh, even when you trust your team and even when you know you've got a great team, it's still hard to let go and let them do their jobs without periodic updates, without periodic status reports. And my challenge to both the leaders and to the members of those leaders' teams is let's all start letting go, trusting each other more and verifying a little less. Uh, that's really something that I think will earn trust, will generate trust, and will help us make more progress on simplification. And it's the kind of thing where everybody says they're going to do it, but it's really hard to do it. And so I just say that one of the things that I pride myself on, to be honest with you, is that I'm not afraid to be able to tell Jeff Immel or a member of our board of directors that I don't know the answer to a particular question and that I'm going to have to get back to them after I've had a chance to loop back with a member of my team who does know the answer or put them directly in touch with that member of my team. Uh, I don't view that as a sign of weakness on my part. I don't view that as a sign of lack of preparation on my part. I view that as a reflection of the fact that I trust my teams, and that I don't get involved in things that don't really require my attention. There's still this tendency at GE that whenever you're meeting with someone who's more senior than you to want to know the answer to every single question. And I see this when I have meetings, when I go around the world and I meet with teams, uh, either the global law and policy teams or business teams. I see the crestfallen look on people's faces when they don't know the answer to a question that I ask. And I always have to reassure them that that's okay. You know, I just look it up, you know, have somebody get back to me with that information. And I really mean it when I say that's okay, but I'm not sure people really believe me when I say that I say it's okay. And I do see other situations where people aren't quite comfortable with that. So we have to get better about things like that. And so that whole issue of trust is another key theme that came home to me this week. Yeah, and I think it's great first that you uh, make sure to let people know that it's okay. I think some of that is probably intimidation, right? And maybe a lot of senior leaders aren't as great about telling people, hey, it's okay if you don't have the answer up front. Either that or people just think they're being nice and they don't really believe them. And, right. you know, let me tell you, from my interactions and watching watching leaders like Susan Peters and Jeff Immel and John Rice and Jeff Bornstein and other people in action over the last year up close and personal, especially in our new headquarters in Boston, they really mean it when they say it's okay. We want people to really focus on what they need to be doing. And part of being a leader is leveraging your team the right way and letting the subject matter experts who are really responsible for it be the repository of the great majority of the knowledge. And, you know, for us, uh, you know, knowing as we need to know and being understanding about that. So when somebody says it's okay, they really mean it. They wouldn't be saying it if they didn't mean it. Sure. And you've touched on a few other concepts, too. You're, you're doing pretty good. You're answering my questions before I'm asking them. <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'll stop doing that. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, it just it has been flowing very nicely. But I did want to just call out a few things. So one of them is the concepts, you know, that we have at Crotonville of everyone is a leader, as well as um, learning every day, which you touched on a little bit, and we all rise, which I think is the most recent topic that we've really been talking about. So when it comes to individuals or organizations that are leaders outside of GE, how do you, how, what is the importance of those concepts? Well, I really think that, you know, when you look at, at the concept of everyone being a leader, you really get to the, the idea of what a mission-based team is going to be. And one of the, uh, you know, I had a couple of sessions on teamwork here this week and somebody asked me, um, you know, how I can tell whether somebody's going to be a good leader on a team or not. 
And I always say that it, I can tell within five minutes, generally, I'm old enough and experienced enough, unfortunately, to have a lot of experience in this area, where I wait to see the first couple questions that someone asks. And if the first question is, what are we going to be trying to accomplish? And what do we need to deliver at the end of this mission? I feel pretty good about the chances that that person's going to be a great leader on the team. If the first question is, well, what am I going to need to do? And what role am I going to get to play in this? And how many people am I going to have working for me? And who's going to be reporting to whom on this team? That's when I start getting nervous about whether they're going to be a leader among leaders on a team, because you really have to be able to look at what the deliverables are at the end of the project in order to have an effective mission-based team, which is going to be increasingly important in the years ahead as GE goes on. And so I just think the candor with which we need to address these kinds of issues with each other is the kind of thing I saw here this week in Crotonville. And there are, you know, tough moments sometimes in these classes where people are really confronting each other with ideas and confronting each other with behaviors that they've seen that bother them within GE, as well as talking about behaviors that they want to incentivize and reward. And I, I love the honesty of the conversations that we had about this. And that couldn't be a more important issue, no matter where you are, whether you continue your career at GE or you go, you go on elsewhere. And then, uh, the same thing goes really almost in reverse direction for the concept of we all rise, uh, which is that, you know, we're only as good as our teams. And I think that that the concept that I tried to emphasize this morning, especially in the concept of authentic leadership, is that a genuine leader understands that she or he is not going to be any better than their team and that there's no such thing really as a great leader of a lousy team. Um, you know, you can be the, you know, in my world, you could be the smartest lawyer, you could be the greatest lawyer, uh, you could be, you know, Oliver, uh, you know, uh, Oliver uh, Wendell Holmes. And if you aren't prepared to surround yourself with the talent that you need to have, and the depth of the talent that you need to have, and the candor and everything that makes the entirety of the GE Law and Policy Organization go, you're not going to be any better than the team. I've never understood leaders who always want to make sure that their bosses appreciate that there are certain things that the team was able to do only because they were at the helm. I really admire leaders who never talk about themselves and talk about their team's concepts. And I saw a lot of that this week. And I, again, I think that's the kind of behavior that we need to encourage. And I think we need to disincentivize the me first or it was me mentality that I see some leaders use. And I don't see them use it very much because they don't last very long at GE when they do that, to be honest with you. So when we talk about things, again, like influencing a team, we've talked how digital has affected the way we work in terms of big data and predicts. We talked a little bit also about the learning mechanisms and digital learning. But what are some other ways that social leadership or, or leveraging some of the digital channels to keep in touch with your team or to communicate with your teams? How has that evolved in recent years? Well, you know, Chantel, my first experience at, at Crotonville was EDC back in 2009. And I dusted off those pages that we used in our report out to Jeff back in 2009 because our topic was 21st century leadership, as it just so happens. <laughs> and one of the things that we talked about there were what were the new leadership traits that were going to be required of 21st century leaders? Uh, by virtue of 
you know, changes in the world. And one of them that we pointed to was how uh, the world was digitally wired and connected in a way in a way that it never had been before. And the challenge that leaders would have to be to be networked, you know, in order to to take advantage of all the mediums that were available. And, you know, in looking back at the pages, that's probably the one prediction that we made more accurately than anything else. And so I, you know, so let's talk about how I do it. Uh, you know, I have a blog uh, that I write and I, you know, I, on average, I'd say I probably post twice a month, sometimes more, sometimes a little less. I really try to save it for when I, I, I feel like I have something to say, but I write it myself. Uh, I make sure that it, it reflects my thinking on issues that I think are confronting GE or issues that I think are confronting my teams. And I use that medium. I write a lot when there are things that happen uh, that I think people want to hear about. But I also use telepresence. I have quarterly calls with my teams. Uh, I have monthly meetings with my direct reports by telepresence around the world so that we can see each other and talk to each other. And I am an active participant on GE's forums because I want to get my voice out there. But more importantly, I want people to feel so they can interact and talk with me, even if they aren't there in the office with me. And the ultimate compliment I get is when I go around the world and I see members of my team, or I meet other people and they say, you know, Alex, I know that I just met you, but I already feel like I already know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, to me, that shows that, that, that I'm doing something right in that area. Uh, and I don't mean to brag about it. It's just it's, that's how I know that I'm I'm able to reach people and that the time and effort that I'm putting into it is worth it. And so I really encourage other leaders at GE to start developing their voice, you know, and take some chances. I mean, there will be times, believe me, I've experienced them where when you're right, you know, there are some people who are going to take issue with what you say. There are some people who are not going to like what you say, but on balance, they appreciate that you're saying it and that they appreciate that you're putting some themselves out there. I think people are entitled to know what kind of general counsel they've got at GE and, you know, what makes me tick and what I react to and what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to accomplish. So I err on the side of over communicating. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple times when people just as soon see a few, a couple fewer blog posts from me. Um, but, you know, I, I think people are entitled to understand what their senior leaders are thinking. You know, I think it's great that Jeff blogs. I think it's great that other of our senior leaders blog. And I like it when I see video chats and other types of reaching out through social media and other communications. And I think we need to continue doing more of it. Um, and I think it's great when people respond. And what I really love about GE is that when people disagree with something that I've written or something that Deirdre Latour's written or something that Jeff Emmelt's written, people feel free to disagree and put their name on it and post it. And I think that really speaks incredibly well of a company that people feel safe knowing that they can take a different view or express a differing opinion from something that their CEO or something that their general counsel said. I think that's a real sign of strength for GE. Right. And, and the engagement that you mentioned from people coming up to you and I think it's 100% the right thing to acknowledge that because there are people who feel really comfortable doing it and people who are really great at doing it. But there are also people who still have some fears. Um, you know, there's still subcultures of the company that may not respond as well to those kinds of things. And so I think having senior leaders put that out there and everybody saying, hey, we're in this together and, and it's okay to disagree, you know, those things I, I think are really important. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And again, I think that reaffirming 
that lead then when leaders reaffirm that it's okay to disagree with them and express a contrary view and welcome that i think you're sending a sign to your team that you you have enough self-confidence to to welcome different views hear people out you know change your mind when it's warranted and take different steps when it's warranted now, one thing in terms of communities and being true to what we have in GE, which is the GE beliefs, sometimes people disagree and it can be done in less than respectful ways. And of course, that's in itself is even subjective. So this is a little bit of a sticky topic, but I want your perspective on how, when it comes to disagreements and, and making yourself heard, what are your opinions on the best way to, to do that effectively? Well, you know, I, I think that the key thing to remember is that the concept that works as constructive challenge. And I think that sometimes people forget about the constructive part and they mistake constructive challenge for just challenge. I remember one time at an officer's meeting, Jeff uh, concluded the meeting by saying that he needed all the officers in the room to accept the concept, concept of constructive challenge. And then he clarified, he said, now, if anyone needs help in understanding the difference between constructive challenge and being a jerk, you know, stop by my office, get 15 minutes from <laughs> Sheila, and I'll be happy to walk you through the difference. And, you know, I thought it was pretty funny, but God, there was a real grain of truth to it. And so to me, when, when, you, when you disagree with something, you have uh, a problem with something that's happening, there's a way to raise it constructively, to ask questions, to suggest that you'd like to understand why we do it a certain way instead of another way. And it's best to start off the conversation by saying, I may not have it right, but it sure would help me to understand why we do it this way instead of that way, as opposed to just saying, I think what you're doing is wrong and here's why. Because the second you stay, say that, uh, you, that you think somebody else is wrong, they get their backs up and the conversation is not as constructive or informative as it can be for either one of you. And plus, a lot of times, you've probably only seen a third or a half of the picture, and you don't really know what the other considerations are. And I don't think you really want to get off on the wrong foot with somebody or take a position without making sure that you understand the whole issue. So I think 95% of conversations can start with questions rather than assertions and a genuine willingness to listen to the rest of the team. And then... There's this idea of being constructive, which means being respectful. And I think we all know what that means. I mean, it's, uh, I don't mean to be trite, cite the golden rule, but speak to people the way you'd like to be spoken to. You know, communicate with people the way you'd like to be spoken to. And I suppose the last thing I'd say on this is pick up the damn phone. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy about GE, and again, I'm guilty of this sometimes, is we are beholden to email. And for some reason, people now just find it very inconvenient to take the 15 seconds that it takes sometimes to look up somebody's number in the gal and give them a call uh, and then instead just fire off an email expressing a different point of view or expressing an opinion. And some topics are just too complicated. Some topics are just too sensitive or some topics just don't lend themselves to email exchanges. You can't express emotions very well with emails can't address complexity very well with emails, and yet we do so much of our communication almost entirely by email, and even to the point where people who are sitting next to each other in the same hallway communicate 50% of the time by email. And I understand how busy everyone is. I understand how challenging it is, 
but so many misunderstandings and so many of the discussions that people say become counterproductive could be avoided and, and go much better if we just did them in person and out of respect for each other rather than firing off each other emails all the time. Yeah. I want to shift a little bit now in the last few minutes here to if you could just pick something out from your professional development or even your personal life, you know, what is something that has really contributed to your growth as a leader? Something that was just an aha moment for you or maybe a mistake that you made that has really impacted your growth? So it's going to take me a minute to set this up, but it's something that I've talked about quite a few times this week, and I may as well go ahead and talk about it here on the podcast, too. Um, when I was a younger lawyer at my law firm, I was a trial lawyer, and I was early in my career. I was about uh, 31 years old, and I had a case, and I was the first chair lawyer on the case, and, and I had a couple of people from my law firm working for me. And there was a witness on the other side, uh, an opposing woman, uh, an opposing witness, a woman who was a uh, professor in economics, and she was a damages expert from the other side. And she had some testimony that was really going to hurt my case. And so I decided that I really needed to go after her and really tear her apart on the witness stand. And man, I did. I just completely went at it. And uh, and it was a tough cross-examination, but I was, and I was tough on her, but I really got her to make some concessions. And I thought that I had really done the job and really demolished her testimony. And I probably did, but I lost the case. And after the case, and I lost several million dollars for a client. And after the case, we debriefed the jury and I had my team with me. And, uh, and I asked, so what happened? You know, why did you uh, award the case the other way? And it quickly became pretty apparent that I was the reason. One of the women on the jury said, you know, you seem like a nice young man and I'm sure you're a good lawyer, but boy, we really didn't like you that day. Uh, you were mean, you were disrespectful, you were a bully, and you were bullying uh, You were bullying this woman on the witness stand in ways that we didn't really care for, and that was a real turning moment, a turning point in the case. And, you know, that was a really pivotal moment in my career, and I could have reacted one of two ways. I could have said, uh, what do they know? They're just jurors. I'm a smart lawyer. I know better than they do. Or I could have sat there and thought about it, and that's what I did. And, you know, I, I can't underscore for you how much, how painful this was, you know, because first of all, I found out that I was probably the reason that my client had lost this case. But I also heard all this in front of my team. I mean, you know how embarrassing that was to, to hear all that. But, you know, I walked away from that and I said, you know, they're probably right. You know, I'm, uh, and for those of you who know me, you see me, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four. Um, you know, I, I have a loud voice. And I thought about it and I said, you know, I need to be careful about not using my size in ways that people will think I'm trying to intimidate other people. And ever since then, whenever I'm in a setting like that, uh, you know, I, I'm very careful not to raise my voice. I'm very careful to be respectful in my tone of voice. I'm very careful to keep my distance. I'm very careful to avoid any misperception that I'm trying to intimidate somebody by hovering over them or being bigger than them or using my size to my advantage. And as a result, I've gone on to have a pretty successful career. If I can say so myself, things appear to have turned out okay for me. I've got the best legal job in the country. And when I look back on that, I think about two things. I mean, I think the first thing is, thank God that happened to me when I was 32 and not 52, uh, because I saved myself from 20 years of myself that way. But it also just shows how you can fail at something and learn from it and emerge from the process, having been, you know, becoming a better professional, a better leader, and a better person. 
But the other thing it shows is the virtue of giving somebody a second chance, because I was lucky enough to have a client who, after I did that, gave me a second chance because they believed in me. And I was able to apply the lessons that I learned there in the hard way and go on to be successful for that client and a number of others. And so the entire thing uh, uh, made a huge difference for me in my career. And as painful as that was, I'm very lucky that it happened to me because uh, it gave me a chance to grow as a professional, grow as a person. And I think I'm a much better leader because of it. And so when we talk about adapt and learn, man, that was one place where I really learned, learned the hard way, uh, but I adapted and it shows and, and it's benefited me throughout the course of my career ever since. That's a great story. And I, I thank you for sharing that with us and for all the people that you've shared it with. Is there anything else that you know you think would be really useful for us to hear? The importance of open dialogue to the continued success of GE. Uh, what I really loved, what I saw here in Crotonville this week, were groups of colleagues who were genuinely interested in hearing what other people had to say about the future of GE and about the future of their careers and the willingness of people in the room to challenge other people in the room with tough, challenging concepts of the sort that weren't make nice conversations, but they were incredibly honest and fulfilling conversations. And I think that willingness to constructively challenge each other is a key to the success of GE. And we've got to maintain that special spirit that we have going forward. Uh, again, for those of you who haven't done the Leader in Residence program, the next time you get the invitation, snap it up because you will be reinvigorated about the future of GE when you meet the women and the men uh, who come to GE and, and who are excited about having their futures at GE and, and you see their desire to learn and you see their desire to excel, uh, it'll make you want to go out and buy stock. Uh, it's just, uh, just such a reassuring and reinvigorating experience. And then here's the other thing I'd say, which is a really striking impression for me, which is the diversity of GE. Uh, I saw people from all over the world, and I, hold, and I heard so many languages being spoken in the dining room this week, and you really walk away with a sense of the, of the degree to which we become a multicultural and global company. We are so much stronger now as a company because we welcome diverse perspectives from diverse people from all over the world, and when you blend all of that together, you get a special magic in a place like GE. And again, that's something that really hits at you when you're at Crotonville and you see just how great a job we've done at building uh, talent and building a culture that draws from the best all over the world. I really like what's ahead of us, uh, and I couldn't be more excited about it. Absolutely. I agree with you, and thank you for being one of our great leaders in that. Hey, Chantel, thanks for the chance to wrap things up this week. I had a great time, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and of course, like, comment, rate, and share. Thanks for listening.